योयाम योगस्वया प्रोक्ता संगिना मधुसूदना स्वयाचलाधास्थितुनसूदनुराइजुरी चंचलम हिमना कृष्णा प्रमाति बलभद्रिधम तस्याहम निग्रह मे वायुर्वासुतुस्कृष्ण The mind is so strong and obstinate that it sometimes overcomes the intelligence, although mind is supposed to be subservient to the intelligence. For a man in the practical world who has to fight so many opposing elements, it is certainly very difficult to control the mind. Artificially, one may establish a mental equilibrium toward both friend and enemy, but ultimately, no worldly man can do so, for this is more difficult than controlling the raging wind. In the Vedic literature, it is said, "The individual soul is the passenger in the car of the material body, and intelligence is the driver." Mind is the driving instrument, and the senses are the horses. Self is thus the enjoyer or sufferer in the association of the mind and senses. So it is understood by great thinkers, intelligence is supposed to direct them. The mind is so strong and obstinate that it often overcomes even one's intelligence. Such a strong mind is supposed to be controlled by the practice of yoga. But such practice is never practical for a worldly person like Arjuna. And what can we say of modern man? The similar, the simile used here is appropriate. One cannot capture the blowing wind, and it is even more difficult to capture the turbulent mind. The easiest way to control the mind, as suggested by Lord Chaitanya, is chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. The great mantra for deliverance in all humility. The method prescribed is Savai Mana Krishna Badaravindayo. One must engage one's mind fully in Krishna. only then will there remain no other engagements to agitate the mind there is a beautiful example given here by arjuna explaining that to control the mind appears to him to be more difficult than controlling the raging wind arjuna 
he appears as the most intimate personal friend of Lord Sri Krishna. At a time before the Kali Yuga has begun. You see, Kali Yuga began about this time, but as, Lord, as long as Lord Sri Krishna was present on this earth, the effects of Kali Yuga could not take place. So here is the intimate associate of the Lord, Sri Krishna. In a previous age, a far more religious and pious age than now, accepting a very humble position. You see, in order to begin progress in spiritual life, this is the first, the prerequisite, is to take a humble position. Most people, they do not like to admit their faults. People are not willing to be truthful and honest about their defects. But they are very anxious to even tell so many untrue things about their glories. This is human nature. When we come before our spiritual master, it is said, Srila Prabhupada would tell us often, one should present oneself as fool number one. There is no greater fool than I. One should never boast about one's glories or about one's good qualities before a superior spiritual personality. But rather one should take a very humble position as was exemplified by Srila Sanatan Goswami and Srila Rupa Goswami who were the most qualified and most celebrated of all personalities. They were the prime ministers of the king of Bengal and all great scholars and Vaishnavas would come to their court to learn Bhagavatam from them. But when they approached Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they appeared in such a humble state of mind that we do not know anything. We are the most fallen. Jagai and Madhai, you delivered them. They were murderers, thieves, rapists, drunkards, but they never served low-class men as we have done. For us to attain your mercy, we have about the same chance as for a dwarf to touch the moon. But nevertheless, we are in a helpless condition and you are Patita Pavana. You are the friend of the most fallen. So we have no other hope in our helpless condition except to beg and to appeal and to pray for your causeless mercy. If we think that we deserve the mercy of Guru, Vaishnava and Krishna, that is our disqualification. If someone is so great and celebrated as Sanatana Goswami, we're praying for causeless mercy, then what is our position? To simply open our minds, open our hearts, 
to fall at the feet of the great souls and beg for their causeless mercy. Because if their mercy is not causeless, we have absolutely no hope of gaining the shelter of the feet of Krishna. You see, when we first come to spiritual life and we make a little bit of progress, we think, I am very, very advanced. Look at what I can do. Look at how I can control my senses. Look at how much enthusiasm I can engage in devotional service. And look at how those around me are not so advanced. In fact, I am very advanced. And when one makes a little more progress in spiritual life, one considers oneself very advanced. And one, and one advances a little more, one considers oneself very, very advanced. And when one advances slightly more, one considers that I am worshipable. I have lotus feet. And when one makes more advancement, one realizes I'm nothing, I'm useless. I'm a fallen soul. that one, when makes one more advancement, one realizes, I am insignificant before God and before the great souls. So you see, when the great personalities are honest, they reveal the true glory of their humility. As I was saying, most people do not like to admit their faults. Now here is Arjuna. He's speaking as the one of the two principal personalities of Bhagavad Gita. And Arjuna was most aware that this Bhagavad Gita, since it was a dialogue between him and Krishna, it would be a scripture that would be read by millions of people, billions of people, throughout all of eternity. If you knew so many people were going to be reading your words, you would be very careful of what you would speak to protect your good name and fame. But Arjuna was willing to reveal his heart before not only Krishna, but before everyone. Krishna, he says, I cannot control my mind. The system of yoga, which you are explaining, is impractical and unendurable to me. For my mind is restless and unsteady. And as far as I am concerned, this mind is so restless, so turbulent, so obstinate, so very strong, that to subdue it, it seems to me, more difficult than controlling the wind. 
Now please do not think that Arjuna is just an ordinary conditioned soul. But if you read the, the beautiful works, writings, or the words of the great personalities, they always present themselves in this way. Because they feel this way. And it is because they feel this way that they completely, like a child crying out for its mother, take shelter of the lotus feet of Krishna. And it's for that reason alone that they are such great, celebrated, saintly persons. Have you ever considered controlling the wind? Even modern man with its greatest technology, when a hurricane or a cyclone or a tornado comes into the city, can they stop it? Can they shoot their nuclear bombs to destroy it, to defeat it? The only thing they could do is go in their basement and hide while the cyclone does its work of destruction. Even the most powerful energy created by man has never subdued or controlled the wind. This is the power of the wind. Arjuna is not saying that the mind is as difficult to control as the wind. He says it is more difficult to control than the wind. And if you think that you can control your mind, that is evidence that you're totally under the influence of the mind in the form of false pride. So therefore, until we can find someone to control the wind, how can we have any hope that that person will help us to control our mind? Therefore, when Krishna appeared, he displayed for all the world and all men how easy it was for him to control the wind. This took place in Vrindavan. Krishna performed this pastime when he was only a small baby of less than one years old. At that time, a great demon, Anasura, entered into Vrindavan. He was not just the ordinary wind. He was a Rakshasha, demon, who took the power and force of the wind. He came as a whirlwind and by his mighty potency he completely covered the sky and it was pitch black. And trees were blowing and houses were blowing and the dust filled the air. No one could even see their hands in front of their faces. The residents of Vrindavan were completely overcome by this great demon in the form of Trinavarta. And Mother Jashoda, she was trying to find her child Krishna to give him protection because it is the nature 
of the lover to always be thinking of the protection and the welfare of the object of our love. And Krishna is the supreme object of everyone's love. So Mother Jashoda, in great, great anticipation, was searching, searching, searching for child Krishna. But she could not find him anywhere. She was going mad, running here and there, calling out, Gopal, Gopal, where have you gone? You see, when Krishna performs his divine pastimes, there are many great instructions to be learned. First of all, we see that the devotee is never equal to God. Time and time again through the scriptures we read of how devotees are temporarily overcome by demons, by the demoniac forces of this world. Sometimes foolish people think that how is it possible if a person is a pious devotee that such a person can be overcome by demoniac forces. But time again, it takes place. Krishna says, I will always protect my devotee. Konteya pratijanehi name bhakta pranashyati. But what does that mean? that under all circumstances he protects the faith and devotion of that devotee. It does not mean protection of the body. Because if Krishna meant that I will always protect the physical body of my devotee, then he would be constantly contradicting himself. Because in the form of time, Krishna explains in Gita that I am devouring and destroying everyone. Correct? And then he says, time I am, the destroyer of all. Time does not destroy the soul. Time cannot destroy the faith and the devotion of a devotee. But time will destroy your physical body. So when Krishna says, I protect my devotee, why would he first protect your body and then a few years later destroy it? Bhagavad Gita is not a materialistic scripture for those who are attached to the body, the senses, and the objects of the senses. Bhagavad Gita is a transcendental scripture meant to bring us to the point of understanding the true wealth of the soul. And that true wealth is in the form of bhakti or devotion. For Krishna's devotee, he will always protect the supreme wealth of devotion under any circumstance. And Krishna allows the demon to come into Vrindavan, to come into the lives of his devotees, only to increase their attachment to him. And this is what took place with Mother Jashoda and the residents of Brajadham. When Trinavarta, this great whirlwind, entered into the arena, they were not thinking of protecting themselves. 
They were not thinking of protecting their homes. They were only thinking, how will we protect Krishna? And when they learned that Krishna was captured by Trinavarta and was being taken higher and higher in the sky, it only increased their love for him. In this feeling of separation, it intensified their remembrance, intensified their desire to serve him and please him. When Krishna was about twelve and a half years old, he left Vrindavan. And it is explained that all the residents of Vrindavan were merged in the ocean of separation. In fact, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami explains that after Sri Krishna left Vrindavan, the gopis cried for the rest of their lives. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has explained that this feeling of separation is the essence of pure love. It is the highest form of expressing our devotion. Vipuralamba Seva. But Krishna didn't just wait until it was time for him to leave Vrindavan. Even when he was right there living, he would merge his devotees into these oceans of separation. When Krishna was being brought by Trinavarta in the air, or when they could not find him in the utter darkness. Although he was only a few inches away, they were merged in separation, and they went mad in the ecstasy of anticipation to serve Krishna, to please Krishna, to protect Krishna. Not a blade of grass can move without the sanction of the Lord and especially in Vrindavan, Krishna's own home. So when Krishna allows these great asuras to enter, his plan is to temporarily appear and allow others to appear to be overcome by the demons to increase the love of his devotees. Because they feel so helpless that they simply have to cry out to Krishna, Hey Krishna, Hey Govinda. But another wonderful instruction in this story is this. As Krishna was being taken higher and higher and higher and higher by Trinavarta, it is described by Srila Prabhupada in his purport to the Srimad Bhagavatam that he was very joyfully, like a small child, taking a ride. Just like children like to take rides on merry-go-rounds, and children like to take rides on roller coasters. It's very exciting. So similarly, Krishna is a baby. He, liked, he wanted to. We have, our children have the tendency to take rides only because Krishna originally has this tendency to take rides. We can have no other inclinations that are outside of Krishna's. Everything is emanating from Krishna. They may be perverted, but in the purest sense, every emotion, every feeling, every desire, everything emanates from Krishna. So Krishna was enjoying this nice roller coaster ride of being brought higher and higher and higher by this demon Trinavarta. 
But suddenly, in an extraordinary way, he became very heavy. And his weight grew heavier and heavier and heavier. Anato aniyan, mahato mahiyan. Krishna, he can be lighter than the lightest, or he can be heavier than the heaviest, bigger than the biggest, or smaller than the smallest. Although he maintained the size of a tiny baby, he assumed the weight of an enormous mountain. And Trinavarta was becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And he became so much fearful for his life that with all of his strength he was trying to push Krishna away. But Krishna in his own charming manner simply held on to his neck with his beautiful childlike arm. Try to understand that Srinavarta, we could say that he represents our mind. And when the mind becomes uncontrolled, it is like a demon. Therefore, in this verse today, Arjuna is appealing to Krishna as Madhusudana. Because Krishna delivered the great powerful demon Madhu at the beginning of creation. And because the mind is like a powerful demon, he's appealing to Krishna, please conquer my mind, I cannot do it. So the demon of Trinavarta is like our mind. When it becomes uncontrollable, it creates darkness in our life, it covers our intelligence. It uproots all of our good, pious, and saintly qualities. Arjuna explains that Krishna, why is it that even I'm trying to restrain and control my senses, still I'm forced to act helplessly in abominable ways? This is because the demon of the mind is sweeping like the wind through your consciousness. And when we become a devotee, we understand that I cannot control my mind. I cannot control my senses. I have no power. And the politicians and the professors in my universities and my friends and relatives, they cannot help me. It is only Govinda that can help me. And Krishna appears within the sound of his name. Kali Kale Namarupe Krishna Avatar. Therefore, a sincere devotee understands that there is no other shelter than the holy name. Bhaktivinoda Thakur prayed that I have seen and considered all the 14 worlds and my conclusion is Krishna without your holy name there is nothing that can save me. But when we chant the holy name we have to chant in such a way that we are really feeling ourselves in a helpless and humble condition crying out for Krishna please catch hold of this mind Madhusudan Kill this demon of my mind. I am being conquered at every step.
And then what happens is Madhusudan, Sri Krishna, he catches hold of our mind. Just like he caught hold of the whirlwind demon, Trinavarta. But you know, Trinavarta understood that this Krishna, he's very powerful. He's becoming heavier and heavier and heavier. Therefore, he was trying to get Krishna away. So similarly, as we start becoming purified, as by the, by the grace of Krishna we become more and more spiritual, as we're taking more and more shelter of him, our mind is going to feel very dangerously afraid. The mind, like Trinavarta, is going to do everything within its power to get rid of Krishna, to push him off, to get him out. Huh? Please, there must be something else to do right now than to chant the holy names. Yes, I know I should wake up in the morning, but the mind is saying, no, get this Krishna out of here. Sleep later, you're tired. In this way, the Trinavarta of your mind is trying to push Krishna away. Because as soon as it pushes Krishna away, you are completely controlled by the demon of your mind. You are the property of Maya. Oh, I'm supposed to chant the holy names? Sixteen rounds. No problem. I, I, uh, time's up. My, the last beat is done. I'm finished. But while we're chanting, our mind is thinking what to do now, what to do tomorrow, what to do the next day. Who's saying this and who's saying that? And what about everything else? In this way, the holy name is right there, but the mind is tricking you. Get rid of the holy name. Think of something else. Feel something else. Plan something else. The mind is constantly trying to push Krishna away. Taking shelter of Krishna while we are chanting the holy names means to be attentive, to understand the urgency and the need that if this child Govinda lets go of the hurricane of my mind for a second, I'm finished. And Krishna says, Yegatamam prabhadyante tamstataiva bhajamyaha mamavart manuvaratante manushya paratasaravasha. That as you approach me, I reward you accordingly to the degree you are grabbing on to Krishna helplessly. To that degree, he will keep his mind around. He will keep his lotus like protection of his arm around our mind. He will keep it under control. Going to the temple to associate with devotees. Ah, the mind knows, then the mind will be with Krishna. So the mind pushes it. No, no, you have better things to do. You don't have time, natural. You have a family, you have a business. How can you go to the temple? It's irresponsible. Pushing Krishna off. This is the business of the mind. We put every other priority before Krishna. Therefore, Krishna puts every other priority before us. He reciprocates accordingly. So therefore, there is only one hope of conquering this demon-like mind. 
is to always keep it at the feet of Krishna. To always welcome Krishna within our mind by striving, by struggling. Krishna says that the mind is more difficult to control than the wind, but by constant practice and detachment, it can be done. For my devotee, if you give everything according to your capacity, I will preserve what you have and carry what you lack. If we sincerely endeavor to execute the order of the spiritual master in the scriptures and sincerely endeavor to, part, to apply these principles to our life by always remembering Krishna, always engaging in the loving service of Krishna, always anxious to associate with the devotees of Krishna, and in every situation possible to take shelter of his holy name, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Then Krishna, it is his guarantee. Manmana bhavamad bhakto madhyajim namnamas kurumam evaishyashi satyam te prati jani priyoshime. His promise that you will come to me without fail. I will take control of your life. I will conquer your mind. I will conquer your heart with the sweetness of my love. This is Krishna consciousness. So Krishna grew heavier and heavier and heavier. And Srinivarta grew weaker and weaker and weaker until he came crashing to the ground and met his death. Krishna consciousness, according to Srila Rupa Goswami, is that process of humbly opening our hearts and inviting Krishna to be the enjoyer of our life, to be the controller of our life, to be the master of our life. Material consciousness is to kick Krishna away and try to be the enjoyer, the controller, and the master of our own destiny. And you see, if we have Krishna, we have everything. And if we do not have Krishna, all we have to look forward to is inevitable death. Therefore, we see in the lives of the great souls, under any circumstance, their glory is they're always in the joyful state of remembering Krishna, seeing the divine hand of Krishna, the blessed will of God, in the background of everything that takes place in the entire creation. This is Krishna consciousness, to see Krishna everywhere and in everything. 
when things go wrong, our tendency is we do not ever want to admit that it is our fault. We want to blame everyone and anyone. The tricky thing is when they're really apparently at fault, then we really think, I have every bit of evidence to support my criticism of this person. And in your own mind, you can justify that you are right. But you have forgotten one factor, that Krishna is in that person's heart as well. And not a blade of grass could move without his sanction. Yes, this person may be very unjust, but Krishna is allowing such an unjust person to inflict some injustice upon me. So when we criticize the person, what we're really doing is we are criticizing the will of God. Krishna puts us in difficulties, in tragedies, in completely unfair conditions for our purification. And if with a grateful and thankful heart we accept Krishna's process of purification, then we become Krishna conscious. We may have to fight for justice, if that is the order of our guru. We, must ha we may have to fight against the demoniac forces. That is our duty. But whether we win or whether we lose, we understand that is Krishna's arrangement. If we give everything of ourselves, Krishna tells Arjuna, you are fighting this battle. You are fighting against demoniac forces. Duryodhana is an envious rascal. He's a demon. Fight him. And Arjuna had to fight this demon, but Krishna said, do not be attached to whether you win or lose. Victory or defeat, success, failure, honor, dishonor, happiness, distress, these things are all under my control. You just fight for the sake of pleasing me. After all, if Duryodhana was not so unfair to the Pandavas, Bhagavad Gita would never have been spoken. Correct? And we would all remain in the darkness of ignorance. If the Pandavas were not banished for 14 years to the forest, we would not have the example of how Krishna allows his devotees to go through some such things, and yet they never give up their faith and their devotion under any circumstance. So you see, Krishna has to use his most advanced and most dedicated devotees to show us by their example how we have to live in this world under all circumstances to always be happy to see Krishna's plan. But to speak of Sita, is there any greater devotee than Sita? And Ravana, the great demon, captured her. 
and imprison her in the Ashoka groves of Sri Lanka for one year. How is this possible? Of course, we know it was an illusory Sita, but still, that illusory Sita was an unalloyed pure devotee who was an expansion of the original Sita. How is it? But Sita Devi, while she was in the Ashoka groves, it only increased her love for Ram. She was constantly crying out, Ram, 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 save me, Ram, please, Ram, come, Ram. And it also increased the love of Ram. He was, he was wandering in complete ocean of distress, separation, searching and searching and searching for his Sita. Just to show the glory of the chastity and purity, how my devotee never forgets me, how even in the clutches of the most demoniac forces, my devotee never gives up my lotus feet. Just like yesterday, I was listening the day before yesterday to a tape of Srila Prabhupada, and one Indian gentleman was asking him, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, that you should not lament for the living nor the dead. Now Arjuna heard and realized the Bhagavad Gita. We accept that after hearing Gita, he was putting it into his life with realization. But after so many days of this battle, his son, Abhimanu, was mercilessly, unjustly murdered. And when Arjuna came back to the camp that evening, and he found the news of the death of his son, he began to weep and weep and weep. and Subhadra was weeping incessantly. So this Indian gentleman explained to Prabhupada that this seems like a contradiction. Krishna told Arjuna, do not lament for the living and the dead, and then he immediately, a few days later, he's lamenting for the dead. So how are we to understand this? After all, the Acharya teaches by his example. And if Arjuna wasn't being an Acharya fulfilling the order of the Gita, then how are we supposed to do it? And Srila Prabhupada explained that the nature of the devotee is his heart is soft. And the more you advance in, in the path of bhakti, your heart becomes softer and softer and softer and softer. You feel more and more compassion and love for others. Yes, the soul cannot be killed. Yes, Abhimana, it was only his physical body that was killed. But still, Abhimana was a great devotee. And he was his son. And Prabhupada said, it is natural for a father to cry when he loses his son. It is natural. And it is natural to a devotee to cry when he loses the association of another great devotee. So the fact that he cried only showed the softness of his heart. But 
his determination, his enthusiasm to remain in the battlefield and fight meant that his lamentation was not material. Material lamentation means we give up. We lose our enthusiasm for devotional service. But when Arjuna heard the news, his enthusiasm increased. He was ready to destroy everyone. He was ready to execute Krishna's order more than ever. Therefore, he was not lamenting materially. He was fixed in devotional service. His service was not influenced by happiness, distress, honor, dishonor, or birth, or death. He remained steady for the pleasure of Krishna. This is the transcendental platform of consciousness. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained that if a sannyasi considers physical comforts, he's breaking his vows. The great personalities come to this world for one purpose and one purpose alone. The mission of the Lord, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that mission is to bring people closer and closer and closer to Krishna to intensify the devotion of the followers and of the innocent persons more and more and more. Therefore, if this situation is increasing your devotion, if it is intensing your attachment to me, if it is your intensing your helpless attachment to the holy name, then that is my inner heart's greatest joy. the holy name, then that is my inner heart's greatest joy. My only purpose, my only desire is you all become pure devotees. I don't care if I'm sitting next to you or whether I'm sitting in a prison. Whichever way best causes pure devotion to grow in your heart, that is my only happiness. And after all, Krishna knows how to purify us better than we know ourselves. So let us gratefully accept Krishna's plan. And how do we accept it? By accepting the message behind it and responding positively to sacrifice more and more and more of our lives in the loving service of Guru and Krishna to give more and more of our energy in our precious life force in the mission of our Guru and Krishna. And with a more urgent sense to call out from the deeper and deeper depths of our hearts the holy name of Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. And to thank Krishna with our folded palms millions of times a day for showing us the glory of a great personality. And to thank that personality billions of times a day for sacrificing his life to show us what it means to be Krishna conscious, what it means to love Krishna. 
and to love us. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.